You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Sid Talk, is it pizza time yet? Not yet. End of conversation. We got a, we're, we've, we're on a pizza timer. We are. We're so. testing out the when do you want your pizza delivered feature. So. Schedule feature. Yeah. Can you uh, schedule one for like weeks ahead? You can pick a date, yeah. Wow. So you could say, like, you know, in three weeks from now at 7 p.m. on a Thursday, bring a pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. I don't know how far in advance you could pick, but nobody wants to hear about our supper. The technology. Well, we have to nix that area of our podcast. No, then. I mean, like, right now. That's not the introduction to this podcast. It's about movies, not about our supper. Well, that was our after the sh- before the after the show discussion talking about true. our pizza. That is true. So it is the weekend of Saturday, December the sixteenth. This is after the show. We are a movie podcast. We review movies, and uh, we're a podcast. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and this week, uh, on number five hundred and ten, we are going to review the movie Dunkirk. It's a twenty seventeen movie. Releases on Blu-ray on December the 19th, which will be this upcoming Tuesday. A perfect holiday gift. What do you think, Sid Talk? Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I can't agree with everything well, you I say. Well, li- I would like a film by Christopher Nolan to be delivered by Santa Claus. Is that the perfect holiday gift? It's the perfect holiday gift for the Christopher mm. Nolan fan in your life. Hmm, not sure about that. Uh, it's rated PG-13. And it's from Warner Brothers, who have sent us a copy to review. And Sid Tor will give you the short synopsis of Dunkirk. It's about Dunkirk, World War II, the thing that happened there in France. In Dunkirk. Change the tide of things that I did not know anything about. Um, the Germans had pushed all the soldiers, like Allied soldiers, into one little clump there on the beach of Dunkirk. And it's just literally across the channel. From England, and yet those soldiers were trapped. And what the army, or the Norval, Norval, the government did was enlist all of the civilian boats, fishing boats, casual boats, recreational boats to go across the channel and pick up soldiers. That's what it was about. And, um, and it did apparently, according to some historians, change the tide, pardon the pun because tide. of in the movie, but, uh, of the entire war. I will also say this, which is an interesting fact about Dunkirk. Um, Winston Churchill had only been Prime Minister for 16 days mm. when this was happening. So um, imagine being thrown... He was really thrown into the shit. There were some big <laughs> yeah. decisions that needed to be made here that were coming from, you know, the government. It can't have been easy. What a horrible time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Dunkirk is the latest film by Christopher Nolan, who I am a huge fan of, and um, I've ne- you know he's never done a war film. And I, actually, I was thinking about it. We don't see war films very often. It doesn't feel like a war film though to me. So, and he even said he didn't want it to be. Th- she said she didn't want well, it to be a like film a war based film. on a, on war events of a war. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't see them very often. You know, I think because they cost a lot of money to make, because <laughs> they're always like epic or you know. Unless it's a very small thing, like... Have we seen a small war movie ever? I I guess, like, Jarhead felt kind of small. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know if it's small. 
I don't know what you. I mean, in small. scale, like something that doesn't cost two hundred million dollars to make, because it's kind of more confined. Hmm. You know, because Jarhead wasn't like some huge. You know, it didn't have huge battles or anything. It was focused on one. Three Kings as well. Yeah, which was a kind of a bizarre. Yeah, they're not based necessarily in real life, but just no. war in them. Um, anyway, uh, Dunkirk, Sidtart, you can go first. What did you think of this movie? I was very moved. Made me want to learn more. Um, that's about it. Kind of, kind of rallies up your, um, my question is like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Why do you want to take over the whole goddamn world? Right? If you take over the world as an individual because of your ideas of how the world should be, you're going to die someday. And then it doesn't matter that you took over the world. And also when you take over the whole freaking world, right? Dominate everybody. Design what everybody's going to think and do. What What is the point? You can only have so much wealth or power. It's just like this flawed fucking thing in people's brains. And then it escalates and it becomes a thing. And then obviously a lot of people follow someone who decides they're going to push their agenda across in a violent, horrible way. I understand. We all live our lives in ways that somehow hurt or take away from someone else. That is the nature of being alive, unfortunately, right? If I buy a pair of shoes that only cost $20, chances are somebody somewhere used a resource, used people working at a disadvantage, took advantage of, exploited something somewhere so I could have a cheap pair of shoes on my feet. I understand that, right? So my lifestyle does oppress somebody somewhere or something somewhere. It's just that I'm not going out to hold a gun to that person's head and say, make me a cheap pair of shoes, you asshole. Like, you know what I mean? And so it makes me think the scale of World War II and this kind of hones in on that. Like you think of all of Europe and then Germany just keep, not Germany, but Hitler and his minions pushing out everybody and then wanting to dominate everybody. That's what it kept bringing to my mind. Like, why? What do you want? You yeah. know, do you give a shit that somebody 8,000 miles away looks like you want them to look, dresses the way you want them to dress, thinks the way you want them to think? Why do you give a shit? And it makes me angry that you're just at this, like, your mercy of the people who, A, decide to take the leadership role to rule the world, and B, the assholes who decide to follow them. It just, that's what it brought out of me, in a good way. Like, like it wasn't, like, um, depressing. To me, it wasn't depressing. It was sort of rallies up your sort of, like, I believe in freedom, and I believe in choices, and doing the best you can not to take away other people's freedom and choices. Yes. <clears throat> Ta-da. So that was good. That was a good thing that a movie could do for you. What I what I felt about this movie, um, from the opening scene, I love the style of it, and it is very Christopher Nolan style. If you watched Interstellar, his last movie, he, he does a lot of, like, long shots and really pretty photography. Like, mm-hmm. it, even though we're looking at a war here and, like, battlefield and everything, some of those shots are the Spitfires flying. They just, like, do something to you. It's like, it's some kind of, you know, like, patriotic, Mm -hmm. you know, visceral thing to it. Especially when the, um, you know, when the Tom Hardy's flying the Spitfire towards the end and it's just cruising in. Yeah. It's going over all the soldiers and everything. It's like, it's kind of the end of the thing, like, uh, the resolution of it. And it's it's just, I don't know, there's something very 
moving about the whole thing. Um, the movie's filmed in a way also that there is not a lot of dialogue. Um, you'll notice that it's, mm-hmm. and, it, and the thing is, there's not a lot of dialogue. And there's also not a ton of action either. It's not like, oh, there's no dialogue because it's like an action movie. You know, like Transformers where it's all action. It's not like that either. Yes, there's some action. And yes, but there's a lot of like downtime moments where nobody's saying anything. Where you're just soaking in the atmosphere of the whole thing. Like, oh my god, this is... And somebody soaking in the reality of their situation. Yeah, like it might just be looking at a group of young soldiers and they all look terrified or like, are we going to live? You know, there's just like really a lot of moving stuff where it doesn't require people speaking to each other, which is interesting. It's a, I couldn't, I've never seen it done that way. Usually there's a lot of chatting and a lot of story. Even something like Pre- Saving Private Ryan, where it's like an action war movie. Then it goes down. It it gets down to just the traditional. Oh, here's a group of soldiers, and here's the interplay between them. There's not much interplay between people here because they're not really stuck in a clump together. They're, you know, they're, yeah. some of them get off onto the some. You know, they start loading them onto this boat. Some of these others are over here. Then there's an attack by these German Messerschmitt planes where you know a bunch of people get killed. It's it's kind of horrendous. Like it feels. Like the movie Pearl Harbor, which is not an, a good, <laughs> it's not a good war movie by any means. But the action sequence parts of that I actually really like, and they do the bit where you see them get taken by surprise is really chilling, even mm, in that movie. Definitely. But in this movie, I felt that too. Like it, it was, I know they're not they're not being taken by surprise, but when they're all stood there on the beach, just assuming, oh well, they're going to come and pick us up in a minute, and we're going home, and then planes come and just randomly start and shooting and you know hundreds of people die all of a sudden it well, makes we didn't you... see hundreds die that was well, the, i mean it must only... have happened like is, yeah uh, it... that was the my only issue with it is the scale of them saying there's four hundred thousand soldiers three hundred fifty thousand british soldiers and then when bombs did come and then you see the scattering and then the the few people more than I mean, more than zero is too many. I'm just saying, though, I didn't feel the scale of it as much. But that beach like is the... many miles long, and I think we were just seeing... Right, but we should have seen... I would want to see, like, all I could... I kept kind of trying to count and think, well, that's several thousand, but that's not 350,000. So I wanted to, like, feel this, like, oh, my God. It's like a whole population of a country, you know what I mean? Like, that's a lot of people. Yeah, it's... It never quite got there. Now, the the main, if you don't know anything about Dunkirk, the main hook of the actual Dunkirk was they were all going to be picked up, and then actually, just, you know, Germany were really kicking off. They were bombing London at that point. London was becoming, you know... Was that when they were bombing, 1940? Yeah, yeah. They were starting to bomb London. Um, they, were start, they wanted to, inv- you know, at any moment they could invade Britain, so... What happened was there was no resources to come and pick these men up. So well, there were, but we find out with little tiny lines of dialogue that the British government decided we can't spend all of our resources on this because we're going to fail. If we send them all, we're going to fail. They're going to decimate us. Yeah, it's a us. waste. Of and that. then they're going to just come across the channel and destroy every London and England. And so we have to say, like, we're cutting our losses at Dunkirk. 
essentially, and shore up here at, at home. So plan B <clears throat> in that situation is to send civilian ships to pick them up. And th- those people are just um, volunteers. They're not paid or anything. They're just volunteered people. And we follow... This movie's kind of split into three stories. There's the story of the men on the beach. There's the story of the Spitfire pilots. And there's the story of the this civilian ship. A little boat, actually, like a fisher, fisherman ship. Um, and it has, you know, a family on board who are going out there to Dunkirk to rescue some soldiers. Well, a father and son. Yeah. And you and you realize along the way, that father's not based on a real person, but he's based on multiple real people and stories that Christopher okay. Nolan heard. Um, you know, there was, it, but it's not actually a real person. But um, you get it in these three different stories, and the way it's kind of blended together is really, I really liked it. It's um, at first I thought, are we on a? At first I thought it was all synced up. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then I realized, because when it, it was dark in one place, it was dark at Dunkirk Beach, but the people coming to rescue them, it was light. I still don't I quite like, understand the timeline, so I'll have to think about it. The timeline kind of intersects uh, during the movie as well, doesn't it? Like, I'm not sure. I have to think about it because it seemed a bit... We see it. Um, the soundtrack of this movie by Hans Zimmer is, um, like, if you ever look at Christopher Nolan, he always wears a pocket watch and... Hans Zimmer recorded his pocket watch and used that as the rhythm of the movie. Like, so at the very beginning of the movie, when you, f- the very opening scene, you'll hear a, t- a watch start ticking. That's like the percussion for the whole Hans Zimmer music. That. And then it actually stops ticking at the end of the movie when they get on the train, you know, when it's kind of over. Um, you didn't notice it. Nope. There was a lot of ticking. There I was didn't a lot notice of, it like, at all. There was a lot of alarm noises too that make you feel really uneasy. Like the, the soundtrack is awesome. It's like um, I knew it was Hans Zimmer from the second it opened because it sounds a bit Man of Steelish, but um, it really adds a lot to this movie. The um, Spitfire sequences were fantastic. I thought. Yeah, really. And, and thought, I'm not into chases and battles and stuff, but it was really compelling. No, it, it wasn't like oh, you know, like some. We've seen dogfighting sequences in movies, like something like Top Gun. It's like all super hyped up and amped up. This just felt like you were really in a Spitfire all the time, and the noise, the the actual sound design of the Spitfire. You can hear the engine. It sounds like it's going to fail at any second. It's like, you know, they don't sound particularly healthy. Those planes. No. When they fire the machine guns off, it just sounds like everything's going to fall apart. Like the cop is, he's like, the whole thing vibrates. And I, what it brought to me was like how, like, you know, the predicament you're in in that plane. You're you're about an inch away from death the entire time, right? So what kind of men? How does anyone survive that? How did anyone survive those wars? I just don't. It's amazing. The kind of men who put themselves in those planes, though, and, you know. It's when you say when you talk about heroes and stuff. To me, that is like you see the people who are crazy, or <laughs> they're so confident that they can fly that plane and they'll never crash. And committed, yeah. But you've got to have it in the back of your mind that that plane could fail at any second, and also it takes one like bullet hit from the German plane, and you're you go down like the smoke comes out the back, and then you're down in the in the sea and you're dead. You know, so that I felt. 
the, all of those Spitfire plot parts, which were not CGI by, um, you know, I was looking at the right. making of this movie. They didn't use CG planes at all. They used real Spitfires. They strapped IMAX cameras inside Spitfires, and they flew Spitfires for real. And the, yes, the actors in the cockpits were green screen. But the actual footage of the planes with the smoke coming out, of it, all of that is uh, real. And that's why it felt so real, I think. The other thing was, you know, like, I play a lot of video games where you're in a cockpit and you have to shoot some other stuff. Like, I've been playing Star Wars recently. So you're in like a, <laughs> you're in like a TIE fighter and it's, you know, dogfighting. And they've got targeting computers and all that. And it's pretty easy to like actually lock on. What these guys had to do, there was a piece of glass in the front of the plane on the dashboard. And you had to line up the plane that you want to shoot in the piece of glass and then press the button. How hard is that? I know. It looked <laughs> impossible. I mean, that's the skill that it required. So it was amazing. So all of that Spitfire stuff, everything about the, the detail in the Spitfire, like that mask that they wear, you you know, seeing from the inside of that, I bet the visibility wasn't very good. You had like a shield that came down that like blocked the sun if the sun's in your eyes, but it can't have been good. I mean, no. It, some of the best plane footage I have seen in a movie that, you know, really, really brought it to life. Like the um, the other thing that the movie really got to me was how the men who were fighting were boys. Like absolutely. I mean, it was just <clears throat> like teenagers. Um, and what war is about? Like you know, like we send all our kids to. Well, these are these what like. 18-year-olds, obviously. Yeah. But most of them were 18, like, young, young. And, you know, it was just... Uh, you, it's impossible to you get trained, around it. But you, there's no way in you know what to expect when you get somewhere like that. You know? It's, Agree. It's terrifying. And, you know, I've every, all the admiration for all the people who fought in wars like that because I know now it's still terrifying. Well, yeah. And, you know, you could get shot. It's always horrible. I mean, no matter where you are. Yeah, but, I mean, back then, it was, like, literally, like, flying in these planes that were just... I don't actually think it's any different, to be honest. Because no matter what, if you're in a plane, no matter how well-equipped it is right now, and you're flying toward an enemy of any kind, even just recognizance, you are at the mercy of whatever... Recognizance? Recognizance? What is it? What's the word? Reconnaissance. Reconnaissance. <laughs> Recognizance. I think recognizance is another word, actually. A different one. <laughs> Reconnaissance. Is that what you said? Reconnaissance. Even if you're just fact-finding, you are at the mercy of whatever the asshole on the ground has that can just shoot you down. It doesn't matter how digitized it is, how if you got internet on the plane and you've got some guy in your ear who can see everything and you got cameras everywhere. It doesn't matter. You are one shot away from dying that's it true you don't you don't like you're not it's not star trek you don't have like a force field around you or anything so if you decide well it's 21st century so i'm not gonna die when i fly over these you know enemy no that's not that's not accurate and it doesn't matter how good your gun is or how good your helmet is or how good your equipment is when you go to war it is exactly the same as it would have been when you were at war a thousand years ago somebody wants to kill you True. And it's just like anything else. If they want to bad enough, they're just going to do it, no matter how good you think you are. Now, this film captured all of that, all the terrifying. It was terrifying for me. It like, was. I just kept thinking of the real people all the time and how, you know, 
how terrifying it it is like it's just ridiculous like what what the hell are you doing as well when you think about it what what and yes we're defending the country but why are people like this and what yeah what exactly. is going on here like you know one of the most terrifying scenes in the movie for me was at the very beginning where you where it opens up with Tommy and he's just he's with his group of soldiers and they're walking down the street and that propaganda drops from that plane yeah and he and he just looks, you know... I wonder if that was real. The Nazis dropped a lot of propaganda in the time. But yeah, this it, wasn't it, propaganda necessarily. It was just at the soldiers. Yeah, it was actually real. <clears throat> um, and the, he picks up the piece of paper, and the piece of paper is like, you're surrounded, basically. Like, you see here where you are? We're all around you. Yeah, like, you're done. How boy. terrifying is that? <laughs> I mean, like... And you you kind of know that, that that's happening, but... Well, you wouldn't, though, would you? There was no, like, cell phone or walkie-talkie or anything. If you were just a group of guys and you didn't have somebody with you who had a mobile phone of any kind, what well, they had that back then, you know, well, to they be had able a, to... Yeah, they did have radio. There was contact. nothing. Yeah, but there was no... If you didn't have that in your little group, you wouldn't have known if an hour ago London was completely decimated. Like, no. you, it's not how it worked back then. But um, I can't fault it. I think, um, technically, it is amazing um i think uh like i said there's not a lot of dialogue the script is really i was reading a thing from christopher nolan the script was only 70 pages which is really really not a lot of dialogue at all um it doesn't need like a load of people talking it really captures the whole thing okay the uh what special effects there is in there that they're seamless there's never a time where i'm like oh that looks ropey there's a dodgy green screen never even those uh pilots in the spitfires where it is green screen you don't it's not i'm just feel like i'm watching a (laughs) the war so yeah it's pretty harrowing in that way um and i love christopher nolan's filmmaking i think he's one of the for big like epic movies like that, he's one of the best people, you know, because he's got a class to him. He's not like Michael Bay cheesy, is he at all? No, not to me. There's a there's a classiness to his thing. He's got a very something about the way he sees things and puts it on the camera. This uh, movie was another one that was filmed in like The Dark Knight. It was IMAX a lot of it, so it had um, changing aspect ratios. I don't know if you know it's where it no. goes full screen and then I never goes. Did notice that. Yeah, well, it, this one had it a lot where it goes really scope and then it goes full again. Um, and it was doing it between scenes. I understand why, because they can't, you can't handheld, you can't use it handheld. A, um, IMAX camera, it's way too big. So they just use normal cameras for a lot of the tighter shots. But when you get up in the Spitfires or there's any action on the, on the, on the ships and stuff, it's all like giant frame, full screen. It's, it looks really, really cool. So uh, moving on to the cast here, it uh, starts with uh, Fionn Whitehead, who plays Tommy. Now, this movie has a lot of unknown people, and that was um, what happened was Christopher Nolan went and talked to loads of veterans. Well, not loads, because there are not many left, but the ones that are left. Um, and they all said that they didn't know anybody yeah. They were all different troops. In fact, some of them weren't even with anybody they knew. There was like two of them. Nobody was bonding with anybody or anything. It was just like lots of the the veterans explained it as lots of like strangers. But you were all on the same side. So yeah. so what Christopher Nolan decided was to cast lots of faces you've never seen before. 
to fill out the extras and you know so it you're not seeing like a celebrity every two seconds which you're not and this guy Fionn Whitehead who plays Tommy I thought he was amazing is not an actor you will know he's a British guy he's a teenager um and he it focuses on him quite a lot right the movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. he's the thread that ties it all together. Yeah, he's in at every single event, which I found a bit corny because I know it wasn't real. Right. And so I thought that was kind of like a Titanic slash Pearl Harbor trick. Like, well, we got to inject a fictional person so we can follow the action. No, we didn't need one person through it all. I could, I would have been fine to have been watch these people on the land, watch these people on the sea and watch these people in the air without anybody in common or that was not necessary for me. I thought that was a bit But he was cheesy. good. He I, was fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you said, there's not a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of fear and, like, you know, trying to survive kind of stuff. But as far as the character goes, it seemed a bit forced. Uh, Mark Rylance, who we last saw in Bridge of Spies, the Steven Spielberg movie, actually won an Oscar for that, uh, plays Mr. Dawson, who's the, you know, pilot of the civilian ship. Um, I... Matt Rylance is awesome. He's actually going to... He's in Ready Player One next with the um, Spielberg movie. He's going to be the uh, head guy who creates the Oasis. Um, what do you think of him, Mark? Yeah, it was good. He's just like a natural guy, right? He just feels like... Yeah. do not feel like, like he has to man. try. He just <laughs> delivers his stuff and I believe who he is. Like um, Tom Hardy plays Farrier, who's the actual Spitfire guy who you who it follows in the middle story kind of thing. Um, you're not a big Tom Hardy fan. Mm-mm. What do you think of Tom Hardy here? I thought, <clears throat> because he doesn't say much, and most of it's behind a mask, yet again. <laughs> and I don't understand, like, you know, I'm not British, and so a lot of British people have the stereotype of Americans where we don't understand what they're saying. I didn't understand a lot of what individual people were saying in this movie. It sounded very mumbly and not looped great. Hey, Leave us alone. It's not. It's just the thing. And he had a lot of that. But it didn't matter because all you could barely see was his eyes. And I was convinced just from watching him look around and the panic and then like the moment of like, okay, well, this is it. And just with his eye, almost just his left eye because the reflection on his goggles and everything. So for that, I think he did a great job because it wasn't bland and it wasn't overly, like, fictionally, like, dun-da-da, I'm going to save the day. It was nothing. It was just him looking around and squinting and then, like, the sadness in his eyes or the determination in his eye. I thought, you know, I was convinced. Yeah, I really, really liked him in it. He didn't really, like I said, doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't speak very much. He just speaks over the radio to other people occasionally, like, to, like he's, uh, are you? How much fuel have you got, etc. But I got everything from him. Like this guy was a hero. He's going to do this job in this Spitfire. If it takes him down, it takes him down. Yeah. But he's going to do it. Like what? What we've come here to do? I'm going to do it. Um. Yeah, and he doesn't really speak much. And you know, Tom Hardy being a big movie star, you know, covering his face up the entire time is. Yeah. You know, some. I don't find him to be that big of a star, but hey. He he's a yeah well I really like you him. Say it doesn't make it true. I do like him in uh, Mad Max. I uh, you didn't particularly because you because mm-hmm. you couldn't understand him. I think I couldn't understand not because of his accent because it doesn't matter what accent I use if I don't enunciate my words you can't understand what I'm saying. Kenneth Branagh plays Commander Bolton. 
Kenneth Branagh is a very highly regarded actor. He's a, you know, he's a stage actor. Play does a lot of Shakespeare, etc. So he's, you know, he's been he's done a lot. He actually uh, directed Thor for Marvel. So mm-hmm. he's directed as well. Um, what did you think of Kenneth? It was fine. I mean, anybody who could be serious and take on the weight of his role would have been fine. I didn't think it was like, it wasn't like outstanding. You didn't see much of him. He had to make a couple of tough decisions and then stand looking out over the ocean a lot. And He felt right to channel. me. Felt right. He felt as, right, but so would anybody else they would have chosen. And he, he seemed like he took it very seriously. Absolutely. Um, he's into the, what I could tell on the extras that he's actually into the history of this. And it's something that, you know, it's not just a frivolous thing that he's taking part in this movie. He's actually interested in it. So, yeah, I liked him. Cillian Murphy, who um, has been in quite a few um, Christopher Nolan films. Is it plays. Cillian or Killian? I call him Cillian. Hmm. I don't know. I've heard it both ways. Potato, potato. Well, no, your name is your name, isn't it? Um, he plays Shivering Soldier. They didn't even give him a name. <laughs> yeah, he never said his name. <laughs> no. Um, again, good. He was picked. Yeah. He was the guy. Basically, he gets picked up. Uh, he's you know he was on a U boat. It went down. He sat on a bit of U boat in the sea. These people rescue him. But he's like he's Mark Ryland says. He just wants to go home. Yeah, like Mark Ryland says about him, he's shell shocked. Because he's, you know, he doesn't want to go back to Dunkirk because he can hear the explosions and stuff. And he's kind of a wild, you know, he's a live wire, isn't he? You don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. He's uh, pretty, you know, unhinged a little bit. Like, ugh. So, uh, did you like him? He was all right. Again, he could have been a lot of other qualified performers. He Um, was very afraid and he did freak out and, you know... He's intense. He's always the same, though, kind of, to me. He's kind of intense and... If you want intense guy, he's the yeah, guy, Yeah, definitely. Uh, and Harry Styles from the boy band One Direction plays Alex. What did you think of Harry Styles? I thought he did a good job. I mean, his character is the same. He has to get... He's kind of gets threaded through a lot of the events, and he handles it well. He's not overly reactive to things, thing, the way that you would imagine a first-time, you know performer to be yeah so i he, think he was good he doesn't have a ton of lines but when he does the part in the train for instance when he's talking in the train when he's mm-hmm. reading the newspaper is that he actually i was like wow he's actually pretty good you know like the first time we saw like justin timberlake in the social mm-hmm. network and we were like oh well how that good? wasn't the first time was it not? nope first time was old dog or whatever it was called yeah raw big dog raw dogs something dogs Something dog. <laughs> I know which one you mean. Yeah. They were like the drug dealer and yeah. stuff. Yeah, that was the first one. But when we saw him and we were like, oh, you know, guy from Boy Band, uh, you know, is he an actor or is he not? And then we're like, wow, he's actually pretty good. He was, yeah. So don't write people off because they're Something just in, else. in one <laughs> field. And then because, uh, yeah, here's another example. Um, in blanking, blanking, blanking. Whoop. Spring Breakers. Okay. Um, singer girl. Selena Gomez. Good. Yep, she was good. Yeah, like not... I mean, her her part... I mean, some people wouldn't even know she's Selena Gomez, I guess, if they don't follow pop. But when you do know, you, sometimes it's like, oh... Yep, possibilities are... Uh, yeah, but 
she just pulled it off and it was really kind of daring kind of role. So they come, you know, don't write people off. <laughs> we Direct- got it. We get it. We get it. Directed by Christopher Nolan. He also directed the Batman trilogy, Interstellar, Memento. What else did he do? That, that one where it was always never went dark. <laughs> do you remember that one? with? No. It was like, you know, what, Alaska, is it? Where it does, where there's never any night. He did that one? Insomnia? Insomnia, yes. With Robin Williams? No, it was, uh, wasn't it Al Pacino? And Robin Williams. Was Robin, yeah, yeah, true, it was <laughs> Robin Williams, yeah. I've actually got, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, Insomnia. Yeah. Was its name. He also did, uh, he's done 14 movies. He did, um, The Prestige. I like The awesome. Prestige, yeah. Inception, awesome. Yeah. Um, and the Bat- three Batman movies and Dunkirk, Interstellar. He does a fine job. He does do a fine job. All, uh, almost all of those movies are great. Um, <laughs> almost. I, so, I, yeah, he, uh, I like Christopher Nolan. I won't say anything bad about him. And this, this movie only uh, cements my like for him. <laughs> so uh, extras on the Blu-ray and... Uh, there are actually a, f- a separate disc with all the extras on, so don't think when you watch the movie, oh, there's no extras because there's nothing on the menu. It's actually a full separate disc. And there's tons of stuff. Um, I won't go through it all because there's so much of it. But uh, hence to say, you will get a lot of extras. It covers everything, and there's a lot of it. So you can watch pretty much everything about, including how the music was done by Hans Zimmer and, you know, everything. So, uh... Conclusion on Dunkirk. I am highly recommending this movie. If you want to... Also, when you've watched it, go and read up about the actual real events at Dunkirk. Definitely. If you don't know. If you're an American and you don't even know... I just asked... Not just Americans. I just said to a friend of mine, uh, have you seen the movie Dunkirk? What's that about? And I said, well, you know, Dunkirk. I don't know what that is. So yeah, don't take, blame out Americans. Though, so I had to explain I'm, it, and he was an American. I will get. I will bet you that most people around the world have not heard of it, except for maybe your end of Europe. In in Britain, we have a saying, and it's, it's called the Dunkirk spirit, and people still use it now. And they say, you know, there was that big disaster, and everybody came together, and the Dunkirk spirit was shown, and it, it actually birthed that phrase of, you know, regular people just all, don't give up coming together and, yeah, you know, sorting out a problem. So if you're British, you know what Dunkirk is because you were taught it at school. Hopefully you were listening, children. <laughs> so I recommend highly, I, it's right on my alley, this movie. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Some people would find it kind of boring. That's the truth. Because um, it's not a Pearl Harbor or another big, you know, action-y kind of war thing. But I think if you just want a solid, good movie, watch that and then follow it up with something a little more lighthearted. And I actually do. Love Actually, maybe. <laughs> You'll definitely feel something during this movie if you're watching. I or mean, add Kingsman 2 onto the end. Add, watch that afterwards. That'll this, cheer you right up. Yeah, this movie will make you feel something for sure. You'll definitely think about... Well, you might not, but that's what happened to me. No, it happened to me too. So there's two people out. That's 100% success. Yeah, but not everybody's like us. Some well, people saying, will watch it and be like, mm, it was fine. 
You know? It is a very, very well executed <clears throat> movie. Hopefully, we see this in the awards um, next year, um, because um, technically, this is well, very well. Yeah, made. very good. Looked amazing. So, um, thank you to Warner Brothers for the review copy. Uh, if you want to win something, go to aschoolie.com. We have three contests going on at the moment. You can win a copy of Home Again, starring Reese Witherspoon on Blu-ray. You can actually win a digital copy for the first season of The Deuce, which is a HBO show starring James Franco. And you can also, our latest contest, win a copy of Friend Request, which stars Alicia from uh, Fear the Walking Dead. And it's a uh, horror movie based upon social networks and stuff. Uh, that's from our friends at Lionsgate. You can win a copy of that on Blu-ray. Go to ascoli.com, click on the word contest, and try and win something. Next week's Blu-ray review will be Stronger, styling Jake Gyllenhaal. We will look at that next week. Movie recommendations. What are we going for this week? I am going on the theme of Dunkirk. And uh, I'm recommending two movies that people might not have seen. And one is The Finest Hours, starring Chris Pine. It's, um, obviously, you've seen it. This movie reminds me of that movie. Mm -hmm. It's about, you know... The, that one is about the Coast Guard rescuing some people, but it's like, you know, one of those things, like, against all odds, we're going to try it's and rescue where the people. ship breaks in half. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Casey Affleck and uh, Chris Pine. And I, I'm feeling a, not a lot of people saw that movie because it kind of went under the radar a little bit. And my other one is, uh, I dislike Spike Lee as a director, but this, this movie in particular, uh, Miracle at St. Anna, it's called. Yeah, that was a good one. Is another true life, like Dunkirk, um, war story that is kind of unique amongst war stories. You a, know? a story yes. about in the war that you don't, things you don't hear about in the news or right. taught in school where it's pivotal or it's important. Every single soldier and every single person who's involved in a conflict that's caused by war, it's important. It's another story to tell, another reason not to have another war. Another thing to fight for, and yet we don't hear them all because there are, because we're stupid, idiot species, there are millions upon millions of people who have terrible stories to tell about war. And so when you hear one that you're like, wow, I never even thought about World War Two in Italy. Yeah, exactly. With an African-American um, platoon. platoon, and how that, what... What? Like, you yeah. know, was that real? And so, you know, that was a good one. I'm on the, um, I've seen quite a few Spike Lee films and always dislike them. And I'm <laughs> amongst probably a few people who think that that is his greatest work. So, um, it's I mean, very different for yeah, sure. Yeah. And it really well made too, like a decently well made with a, with an interesting thing that you probably never heard about. And mine kind of goes on, one of them goes on that is Water Diviner with Russell Crowe. Correct. Because it's another thing in Australian history. Tripoli. Tripoli. That was right, the, but it's Australian's history. Yeah, I'm right? just saying that was the battle. Right. That you just know no clue about Australian's history or how things were fought and won and how it, you know, the history of it at all. And it's told in a different way as well. It's a father going to find the remains of his two sons when, in fact, the war has just sort of, like, moved on. But a difficult difficult task and then you learn about the war and the events as it as you go through the story and then the other one is a classic tale of the triumphant underdogs return of the jedi <laughs> thought you'd appreciate that one because yeah. we're talking about a whole galaxy here 
We're not just talking about, you know, one little planet. We're talking about a whole galaxy. Some asshole wants to take it all over. Talking and, of uh, Jedis. Yes. Next week we will see The Last Jedi and we'll talk about it next weekend. Okay. <laughs> Which will be the new Star Wars movie with the word Jedi in it. <laughs> so games are scully stuff. I have played uh, a really cool VR game that everybody should play if they have VR. And that is Fallout 4 came out this week in virtual reality. So it's the Fallout 4 game that came out a few years ago. Two years ago, probably. Um, but they've converted it into VR. Now, what that means is they've redesigned the control scheme completely so you can use your wands instead of a controller. And uh, are they called wands? What are the things you've got in your hands called? I don't know. The things you hold in your hands when you're in virtual reality that look like when you look in virtual reality, they turn into your hands, which is really weird still for me. It is pretty fun. You're getting used to it now, though, I think, aren't you? Getting used to it, and um, it's still bog... It, I played the begin. I didn't play Fallout 4 in you know normal console or PC. I played the first hour of it and um, never went back to it for some reason. So I'm very familiar with the first hour of it. So I played the first hour of it in VR, and it's completely different. I was like, when at the beginning of Fallout 4, you're in this idyllic 50s America household, and it's you and your husband, or you and your wife, depending on which one you play. And uh, you've got the baby, and you've got the TV, and you've got a robot that does all your chores, because it's kind of a bit of an alternate reality of America. And then this guy knocks on the door. Everything looks so it's so much different in VR. Like It's really hard to explain unless you're in it, but imagine the game like a video game, and then you crawl inside the TV and you're in the video game. Like, mm-hmm. that is what, that is, it exactly feels like that. Like, you could reach and touch things. Everything's the right scale for you. So if you stood in a room, it feels like you're in that room, not the room that you stood in. So all that just, it makes a hell of a difference. What I've found out about VR as well from playing this game is the graphics don't have to be quite as good as they do when you play on a, you know when you play like something like Star Wars on a flat screen, it looks awesome. Like the graphics are like so good, it almost looks like you're watching the movie Star Wars. In VR, the graphics don't have to be as good to sell you that you're in it. Mm-hmm. They can even be cartoony, and you still believe you're in this cartoon room. It doesn't. It's not really about how it looks. It's more about whether it, your brain buys whether you're stood in that room and not your room, which happens when you're playing the game and like I said there was a weird thing in in Fallout I was in this room and there was a guy and I walked over to the guy and I started to ask him something and he started to give me a mission so he's talking to me and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking wow he's really detailed like so you know and obviously inside VR inside VR everything is 3D like there is no it's like the real world it's 3D it's not like 3D when you go to the cinema and you look through those glasses it's all 3D, like a real... Yeah. So you've got this guy stood in front of you who looks like a guy. And I, I'm i looking at him and he's talking and I'm listening to what he's saying. And then I, I just want to see like how good he looks. So I, I moved my head and got really close to his face to have a look at his face. And he kind of he, he stepped back a little bit and gave me a really weird look. And it was like, whoa. Like the future And I is- said, of course he did. Yeah. Because nobody likes you looking up their nose. But that was the thing where I was like, whoa. 
That is a <laughs> weird moment. Like it's almost like now I don't want to do that to that guy because he's expressed that that is weird. <laughs> so Fallout 4 in VR is awesome. It's it really makes a difference. It's it's when they say immersive. Once you put a VR headset on and start playing a cool game like Fallout, which is actually, it's not like one of these small experiences. It's actually the full, like, 50-hour game. Um, it, it so makes a difference. It's, you know, you need to try it for yourself, though. It's really hard to explain it. So, uh, yeah, I played Fallout 4 in VR. And I also played um, Star Wars Battlefront 2. The DLC came out because The Last Jedi is released now. So you can play the last third of the campaign. And uh, I have not played it because I don't want to ruin the movie in any way. And I know it has ties to the movie somehow. So I'll play it next week when the movie come, when I've seen the movie. So, Sid Talk, what did we start this podcast with? Was it for dinner? Yes. Papa John's. Yes. <laughs> as simple as that. We have a timed pizza. It hasn't arrived yet. At least I haven't heard the doorbell, so it we're ain't good. Time. And when I'm looking at the thing, it doesn't say that they're making it yet. You can look online. And it's only it's not a commercial. It's just one of those things that, you know, I was in the mood for pizza after making lots of, like, candy and stuff lately and cookies for my Christ- my family Christmas tomorrow. So pizza sounds nice and savory. So what is your advice? My advice isn't really advice. It's just more of a thing that I have come to understand about life now, other than there are a few things where this may not apply. So you have to be reasonable human being. You know, if you're a surgeon or you are in the middle of some big life-threatening situation, this might be a different situation. But perfection on a daily basis, it's just bullshit. Like somebody, I can, I know people who are like this and I've been there when they're stressed out about making a cookie, making cookies perfect, or the thing needs to be perfect. Or the, if the pizza doesn't turn out perfect, then something, you know, they freak out or their hair doesn't look perfect or, and they say perfect as in whatever their expectation is, but particularly like me baking a bunch of cookies. Now in the past, I haven't done a lot of things like that, not because of perfection looming over, but just like, oh, I'm not, it's not really good at that anyway. And it's going to frustrate me because they're not going to turn out good at all. So why bother? You know what I mean? That's my can-do attitude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really stick to it. And then for some reason in this year of my, you know, turn 50, I'm like, yeah, there's some things I, I need to figure out how to do well. You know, be good at it. And in the process of, like, I just made a bunch of pillows from my father's clothing. He passed away this year. And so pillows for everybody. I'm not a seamstress. I don't do perfect seams. I don't do perfect stitches. My my thread doesn't match each other. It doesn't match the material. The materials, obviously, shirts and pairs of pants and overalls that have to be chopped up and pieced together. And, you know, someone else might just be so stressed out because every pillow isn't the same and everything isn't straight. And I don't even know if the pillows that go in them are going to fit in them. But I don't care, really. I'm just like, the journey is part of it. The thought is there. They're pretty cool, I will say, <laughs> from my, my opinion. My father would have said it was bullshit. You just need to burn all that shit and get it over with. Why would anyone want a pillow with my stupid shirt? You know, that kind of thing, which makes it even funnier to do. Um, but they don't have to be perfect. I didn't sit there tearing out seams and going, oh, gosh, this one's a little bit off. And that stitch I had to redo. None of that. None of that. I just wanted the end to be 
what I wanted. My expectation wasn't based on what other people would judge it compared to some perfect idea of it. Same with cookies. I've figured out a good cookie recipe, baking them. I don't know what size to make the cookie thing and how long to bake them exactly. And then, of course, I made the batter. It seemed kind of mushy. I put it in the fridge. And then I realized, oh, it's only supposed to have three quarters of a cup of butter. And I put a whole cup of butter in there. Whoops. So... Compared to the ratio of flour and sugar, are those even those are just gonna melt once I bake them. I'm like, oh well, fuck it, just see what happens. So got them out today, cut them up, crank the heat up a little bit on the oven because I read up on it a little bit how to fix, you know, baking problems instead of being like, well, ditch them because they're gonna be bad. I went ahead and baked them, and they're amazing. I only burned two of them because you know lots of butter on high heat. So two of them in the back got a little bit extra crunchy. Two is a good ratio. <laughs> so I ended up making like two dozen. So, you know, but in the end, some of them are kind of brown around the edge and they aren't all the same thickness and they're not all the same shape. And I didn't put any icing on them because in the end I was like, Ugh, I don't want to mess with that. So I don't, I don't approach any projects, I guess, with a certain, um, if it can't be quote unquote perfect, I'm not going to do it. Or it's a failure. Right. Whereas a lot of people avoid a thing. And people will say to me tomorrow, oh, oh, I would never, oh, I would never know how to make those pillows. I just wouldn't even try. Because of there's an idea in their head that if it isn't, you know, perfect, then they don't want to fail or have someone else decide they're a failure. And I don't have that. So perfection is bullshit, essentially, is my advice. Nice. <laughs> I'll wrap it all up. That's the bottom line. I want to remind you about our website, ascoli.com. You can go there and you can catch us on Twitter and Facebook. Catch this podcast on the uh, Google Play Store, the iTunes Music Store, the RSS feed. Or if you have an Amazon device, you can say, say the trigger word and then say, <laughs> listen to After the Show Movie Podcast on TuneIn. And it will play you the latest episode. You can email feedback at ascoli.com. And you can email... No, you can't email Sid Talk. You can email me. Can't go to my website, but you can email me. And I want to say, uh, stay classy, Mr. Christopher Nolan, who is always very well-dressed at all times. True, even, true. Uh, even on the set. Even when he was wearing a wetsuit on the set, I still thought he looked cool. <laughs> And I'm going to say think for yourself, because if you don't, somebody will do it for you. <laughs>